Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. I get wired for um, Is Joey here? No? All right, so no joke tonight. I'm sorry. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Ronnie. Hi, Ronnie. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or that will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, if everybody's ready, we're going to start the meditation.
do the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, uh, you can just follow along up here. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Uh, from there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Nina to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, uh, so it's kind of important to know what one is. So come on up, Nina. Hello, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name's Nina. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Excuse me. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God conscious consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference, of the difference long before he, before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What, what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few expectations, our members find that they have tapped in an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Thanks for letting me read Thanks, Nina. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or uh, meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, and tonight we have Tom coming up to do his sixth session. Um, doesn't feel like it's been six weeks already, but uh, I'm looking forward to what he has to say tonight. So I'm going to bring Tom up. Tom, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, adjust my vision here, where I can, I can see 
if you could see you out there, you know, otherwise, because uh, I, I have this uh, thing, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's been with me uh, for a lot of years. But when I uh, speak or when I share, I have to look in your eyes. I'm not comfortable unless I can look in your eyes. You know, the eyes to me are the windows to the soul. And I feel as though I, I'm not making a connection with you, you know, unless I can see your eyes. And those bright lights, they, they keep me from doing that. So that's the, that's the reason I got the hat on. You know. Not because I'm advertising for the Lazy J Ranch, you know, that's been around since 1915. <laughs> They're not my sponsor or anything, all right? So what's a, no joke. I mean, come on, we got to have a joke, right? So, you know, I, I have a friend who uh, who went to Ireland, uh, went to meetings. He, he went over there to go to meetings in Ireland. And uh, he went in the meeting, and he was looking for the coffee. You know, he was wondering, you know, because we love our coffee, you know, and I... I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have a cup of coffee. But he couldn't find any coffee. He looked all over the place. Finally, he asked one of the ladies there in the meeting who was setting up the meeting. She said, he said, where's the coffee? And she said, oh, we don't have coffee. No coffee. Not in Irish meetings. We don't have coffee. We have tea. That's what we have is tea. So we have a lot of tea. You know, we have serenity, we have sobriety, we have sanity, and maybe you can get some longevity, but no coffee, no coffee whatsoever. You can forget about that, right? That's a little corny, but you know, we got tea, we got coffee, we got coffee. I don't know if we got any tea. Anyway. Uh, you know, when I got to the sixth step, uh, it's funny because you feel as though you've gone through all this work, you know, in the fourth and the fifth step. And if you're anything like me, it took a long time. You know, I was, I was not quick. Uh, and, and I'm still not quick. I, I just, uh, I'm not somebody who thinks that we should zip through things. You know, I'm one of those guys that wishes you a long, slow recovery. Takes some time, you know. I don't, I don't know how well working the 12 steps in 30 days or two weeks or, I've even heard now, you know, several hours I can, we can do the steps because for me the steps are experiential they have to happen through my experience you know that's what I was taught uh, to share uh, in meetings uh, I was taught to share my experience strength and hope not my opinions and ideas so I'm not up here to uh, be a professor of the steps and explain to you, you know, in some kind of mechanical way how uh, steps ought to be worked. Uh, all I can do is share with you 
uh, how they worked in my life, how they worked for me. And that type of, of, of experience in my sobriety, which I haven't seen it a necessity to take a drink or a drug since December the 9th, 1983. So I've been around for a little while. I haven't seen that as a necessity, you know, uh, in my sobriety to do anything any other way than that. I found that it worked for me. So all I can talk to you about is what works for me, you know. I don't know what will work for you uh, because I don't get anybody sober. Nobody got me sober. I'm sober by the mercy of God. And I stay sober by the grace of God on a daily basis. And I learned that from the man who brought me to God. Because God's what's worked for me. And I really don't care what you call God. You know, even the atheists in this program call God spiritual principles. If that's what they want to call their God and be atheists, that's fine with me. I haven't got any problem. There's, I'm sure there's several who have. I mean, I, I knew a man uh, for many years, and Chris knew him. You know, Chris and I have known each other for over 30 years. And uh, his name was Tom McDermott. We just call him Black Tom. Yeah, because he, he, he usually had a scowl on his face, you know. But he was an, he was an avowed atheist. And uh, I, w- I was early in sobriety in the old Central House, the American Legion Central House in Delray Beach. We would have midnight meetings, candlelight meetings. And I was in one of those one night, and I, I went to Tommy because I loved his program. And uh, but I had this I had this confusion about uh, how he had this sobriety and he'd had it for several years and he was an avowed atheist. And and he uh, I went to him and I said, I don't I just can't understand how you have this this sobriety that you have and 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 you don't have any higher power. And he said to me, he said, well, who said I don't have a higher power? And I said, well, you say you're an atheist. And he said, well, that doesn't mean I don't have any higher power. And I said, well, well, what's your higher power? And he said, spiritual principles are my higher power. And I learned that that's, that's when I went to an atheist meeting one night, which I think that's the only atheist meeting I've ever been to, in Boca Raton. I think they still hold the atheist meeting there at the Unitarian Church, you know. In Boca, and they, and they have their steps on the wall, and you'll see that they have replaced any place with God with the term spiritual principles. God bless them, you know. I kind of feel like they might be a little bit like my old sponsor, Tex, used to say. You know, uh, he went to the atheist funeral and looked in the coffin at him. He said, poor guy, he's all dressed up and no place to go. Well, in the end, I guess, you know, I was in the, I was in the uh, uh, Church of the Palms meeting a couple of years ago, and uh, two old friends of mine from Delray Beach, uh, Randy Steen, who's dead now, and Don Carter, 
who's been around forever. And I was telling this story about Tom. And and, and uh, they sat there and listened to me tell the story. And then Randy Steen said to me, because, you know, he took care of Tom until Tom died of cancer. And he died in Randy's house. And Randy said, well, that wasn't the way it was in the end, Tom. And I said, how's that? And he said, in the end, he had me call for a priest to give him the last rites. So I guess he was hedging his bet. <laughs> or like they say, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know? Anyway, I, uh, I figured there was only two paragraphs, right, in the big book. This is, this is easy. After I've gone through all this hard work, this is easy. I'm ready to do this. I'm entirely ready to have God remove my defects of character. You sh- you sh- you're right, man. I learned what my defects of character were in my fourth step. And let me uh, share this with you right away. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you, you know, there may be a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who may who may not agree with what I'm going to say. But, you know, that's their experience and not mine. That's their story and not mine. I'm up here to tell my own story, you know, and I'm sticking with it. Or like a guy, Kevin Murray, once told me in a meeting, I love you, Tommy, but you say the same stuff over and over again, okay? Well, what do you want me to do, change my story? I can't change my story. It is what it is. And my sponsor was the guy who he is. And, and he had a very similar story to mine. And he taught me a way of working the steps that he learned by going to step meetings every week for nine months at Bark. Uh, right over here, um, Broward Alcohol Rehabilitation Center. And uh, a lot of people in AA didn't agree with that. I know people in AA who will tell you, I, I had a sponsee once who told me that 12 and 12, is, it kills people. Actually, and a lot of people looked up to him. That 12 and 12 kills people. What's that crazy drug, Chris, where they, uh, you know, the guy bit the guy's face off in Miami on? Yeah, the bath salt, yeah. Yeah, that guy beat his head on the floor until he died. Okay? I got a lot of experience. I've been around a long time. I've had a lot of experience in 38 years. This 12 and 12 has saved my butt. I never knew anybody that the 12 and 12 uh, caused their death. As a matter of fact, uh, maybe Bill didn't have much experience when he wrote the big book, only enough to put two paragraphs in there. And why, in 1952, he wrote the 12 and 12, so that maybe we would have a better understanding of exactly what the sixth step and the seventh step are all about. And you'll hear a lot of people say, well, Bill liked to use different words. So that's why he changed up words all the time. You know, he would, 
use a different word so he wasn't using, you know, because he's a writer and he didn't want to keep using the same word over and over again like you were saying, something's great, something's great, something's great. He said, it was great and it was wonderful. It's more interesting that way. And that was the reason why he said defects of character in the sixth step and shortcomings in the seventh. But they're the same thing. Well, myself and several other people that I've known over the years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and especially the people that have worked the way I showed you how I worked the fourth step and gave you the handouts on how I worked the fourth step, have an understanding of what my defect of character is. It's a defect of my character. I learned from my four steps that I had three major defects of my character. Self-condemnation. I condemned myself to myself my whole life. As far back as I can remember, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I never wanted to be who I was or where I was or doing what I was doing. I always wanted to be somebody else and be someplace else and doing something else. I was not satisfied with my life. And so I was giving myself this message. For many, many years, I was giving myself this message that I was worthless, that I wasn't as good as, that I didn't measure up, that something was wrong with me. Okay. And I don't know where I got this message from. You know, I, I sure, I came up in a real strict way in the old days when people beat the hell out of you. You know, thank, thank God for my wife. She talked me out of beating my boys. She said, what did that ever do for you? I said, all it ever did was make me mean and want to hurt other people. But corporal punishment was an acceptable way, especially in the Catholic faith. I was born in 1952. I'm 69 years old. And them mean old Irish nuns, they were a lot meaner than the Italian nuns were, you know. And I'm Irish, okay? And I'm going to tell you, they, they'll, beat that. they'll beat it into you. I got an old saying, I'm, I'm Irish. Anything that doesn't kill me better start running. Because that's the way I grew up, with a really bad temper. And I didn't play well with other children. And I was angry. I was angry about the way I felt about me. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Why I felt about me the way I felt about me. And somebody had to be to blame for that. Somebody, that had to be somebody's fault that made me feel that way about me. And so I built a character 
out of resentment, out of fear, out of all this negativity. I had to build a character. That character is my second largest defect of character. Because when I got here, I was a character, but I didn't have any character. I was justified in all my ways of doing things. Self-justification was, you know, I was all about justifiable anger. That's what I was all about. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous 48 years ago and spent the first 10 years never getting a year in and out until it got shorter and shorter and shorter and I couldn't stop drinking anymore. Lost that through progression of alcoholism. But back in those days, there was a place on Dixie Highway down the road from 101 Club, 5th Chapter. And I went in a midnight meeting in there one night and a man was talking about justifiable anger. And he said, today I can't afford to feel justifiable anger. And the first thought that went through my mind is, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? What is he, a sissy or something? Because I was all about that. I was all about if you did something, you're going to, to me, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. I'm going to find a way that you're going to pay for it. You hurt me and I'll hurt you back double. Like the old mob way, you know. If you put one of mine in the hospital, I'll put one of yours in the grave. That's my mentality. I came up that way. And I, and, and I became that person, that kid. I became a false self. The second big defect of my character, false pride. Because I had to have something to make up for the way that I felt about me. And so I had to create this character, this false self that I reinforced my whole life. I reinforced that character my whole life. I built a wall around me four foot thick of solid stone and I spent my life patching every crack in that stone so that nothing could get through, not even me. Because deep down inside was this fear. It was all motivated by this fear that I had of me because I was worthless and no good. This self-loathing that was in me that needed to be covered up by all this false pride. And what came with it was resentment. I needed all that resentment to justify the character that I was. You know, that character, that character took me to a lot of places. Pima County Jail, Palm Beach County Jail, Peoria County Jail, you know, you name the county jail and stockade. Took me to a lot of places. Took me to the place where if you brought me 
with you to your bar where you go, your bartender would tell you, don't bother coming back if you bring him, okay? Because I'm a loudmouth, obnoxious, arrogant, crazy drunk. That's five foot seven, and as soon as you put the whiskey, start getting plenty of whiskey in me, I turn into seven foot five. And I start looking for somebody. I was never a happy drunk, okay? I don't know what the hell a happy drunk is, okay? But honestly, I was never a happy drunk. I was always mean. That's why I didn't play well with other kids. And I, and, and, and I thought, you know, well, I, I got this. I got this, you know. And I told him, I says, I got this. I'm entirely ready. You know, that's, that's easy. I'm entirely ready, man. What do you want me to do? I'm done. I'm done. Let's go to the next one, okay? I thought it was, hey, that's that simple, right? Nothing to it. Let's go to the next one. He said, hang on a second there, buddy. He said, I got a little something I want you to do. A little exercise. And I says, well, what's that? He says, well, he says, I want you to find three people that you can't stand. I said, oh, that's easy. There's a lot of son of bitches I can't stand. He says, then he says, I want you to find something good about each one of them. I said, oh, geez, what do, what do I got to do this crap for, right? <laughs> okay, I, I guess I could do that. He said, that's not all. He said, after you find those three people you can't stand, you find something good about each one of them. I want you to go to that person and I want you to tell them that good thing that you found in them. Man, I want to do that. And you got two weeks. And after two weeks, he said, how'd you do? And I said, well, I found three people, you know, that was, that was easy. And I listened to them and I watched them for a while and I found something good about each one of them. I said, but I could only bring myself to tell two of them that good thing about him. I said, that third one, I'll never tell him anything good about him. Never. And he said, well, I guess that goes to show us just how willing you really are to change. And I said, how's that? He said, about two-thirds willing. About two-thirds willing to change. That's what I think. That's how my thinking works. That's the way I think. That's why, that's why doing this on your own doesn't work too good. See, left to my own devices, I made a mess of my life. Every problem I have with the steps is a first step problem. Because I want to go back and take away the 100% commitment I have to have to the first step and say, I run my life. Don't tell me how to run my life. I know what I need. I know how to manage my life. And I know how to manage your life. And I know the way life ought to manage. It ought to go my way. That's the way it ought to go. 
So if it went my way, it'd be wonderful. Be a wonderful life if everything just went my way. And everybody just did everything my way. And if everybody just acted the way I want them to act and behave the way that I want them to behave and say the things that I want them to say, this would be a wonderful life. And that's why I have any problem with any step that I'm on because I got a first step problem. I don't want to surrender. God bless you. Acceptance is not the key. I'm sorry to tell you this, but acceptance is not the key. That's just one guy's opinion in a story in the back of the big book. A guy named Dr. Paul, who I have good friends from L.A. who went to meetings with him and said he wishes he would have never wrote that. Because the key is surrender. Surrender is the key. Heck, I can't even get to acceptance without surrender. I have to surrender 100%. That means I have to be willing 100%, not two-thirds. Two-thirds is not going to work for me. But it's a good start. It's a good start. And... I was in a meeting. <laughs> I was in a meeting several years ago in our home group. My boy here, Jeff, he's in our home group. Boca Men's Recovery's been my home group 27 years. He, I was talking about, you know, how I never wanted this life in Alcoholics Anonymous to be about changing my character. I didn't want it to be about changing my character. I just wanted it to be about not drinking. And now everything's supposed to be wonderful if I just don't drink. But that didn't work too good. You know, that's why it took me 11 years to get a year. And when I held the medallion in my hand up at the podium, the first thing I saw was, to thine own self be true. Because the first step's not about honesty, it's about self-honesty. To thine own self be true. I can lie to myself, I can lie to myself so well that I'll have you believing it's the truth. So if I can't stop learn, stop lying to myself, how am I ever going to tell you the truth? Because I believe the lies. I told lies for so long. The same lies that I believed they were the truth. I really believed them. My mind was so warped from drugs and alcohol and from telling the same BS stories for so many years that are all about ego and me building my ego. If you want to learn something about ego, go read Dr. Harry Tebow. He knows all about the ego. Surrender versus compliance. In alcoholism. Check that out. Because there's a big difference between surrender and compliance. I was compliant for years. But I didn't grow. Just being compliant won't, won't allow me to grow. 
The only way I can really have growth in this life is through total surrender. To me not being able to manage my life. I'm sober, clean and sober, 38 years, and my life is still unmanageable because I still have alcoholism. I don't have alcohol-wasm. It ain't never a wasm. It's always an ism. And I have to treat my alcoholism on a daily basis. Yesterday's booze is not getting me drunk today. And yesterday's sobriety is not keeping me sober today. I got to ask myself, what am I going to do today to stay sober? Today. Just because you put years together. I I know a man in Prescott, Arizona, in one of my favorite groups, who had 34 years and went back out. Within 10 days, he was in the hospital, dying from alcoholism. Today, he has four and a half years, and he'll tell you they're the best four and a half years he ever had. Because he never changed. He didn't change. He wasn't willing to change his character. But thank God for good sponsorship because I was told, Tom, if you don't change the character that brought you in here, he's the same character that's been taking you back out. That this is all about changing that character. I have to surrender to the old character. The old character's got to go. Yeah, my life's still unmanageable, but it's not unmanaged. It's managed by a power greater than me, who I call God. Because it's easy just to know who we're talking about when you say God. That I call God. A power greater than me through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Through the application of steps in my life. Because like my sponsor told me, in here, Tom, we don't got no report cards and you ain't graduating, okay? You ain't graduating. It ain't bing, bang, bing. We worked through the steps and it's over with now. Here's your graduation papers. Come up and get your diploma. We do a disservice to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous even by using the term working the steps. They're not meant to be worked. They're meant to be lived. This is a a way of life, a program for living through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the man that has it, had this group, he, this was his book. He had the book, and when I went to Prescott four years ago, I'm looking through for meetings, and I found a meeting, Hole in the Soul. I said, oh, that's my meeting right there. That's where I'm going, to the Hole in the Soul meeting. Because I'm a hole in the soul guy, you see. I'm a hole in the soul guy, and I knew any man that would start a meeting, or any person, man or woman, whatever, would start a meeting called Hole in the Soul. That is the that is the meeting for me, because that person knows what they're talking about. And he did. Old Bob, he passed last year. Eighty-eight years old. Sober 43 years of his life. And he left us his books. We all got this book, Sermon on the Mount of his, is just it's just underlined like crazy and highlighted. He did all the work for me. (laughs) 
He was a great guy. And the reason that hole in the soul is so important to me is because, you see, I went around my whole life with this big hole. And I tried to fill that hole with drugs and alcohol and people, places, and things. And I had the disease of more, thinking that all I needed to do was just get more, just get more, just put more in there. If this feels good, because that's what it was all about, feeling good. It was all about pleasure, gratification. I needed it. I needed that gratification. I needed it because I had no happiness. And I thought happiness came from being gratified by people, places, and things. That means money and women and jewelry and cars. It means materialism. It means thinking that you'll get enough or you'll get what you want and God's going to shower you with gifts. Do you know how many times I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and they told me that all I had to do was surrender and turn my life and my will over to the care of God and I was going to be all right. And I sit around in the rooms and I start talking to myself. Because you see, this is what I have, is I have a talking disease. This alcoholism that centers in my mind, it's a talking disease and it talks to me. And it tells me all about what I need. When I wake up in the morning, before my eyes even open, my alcoholism is already talking to me, telling me what I need. That's why I say I wake up with untreated alcoholism. I know it's alcoholism today talking to me. And I know that I need to get out of my bed, get on my knees, ask my God for the strength to stay clean and sober today. Take my life and my will under your care. Do with me as thou wilt. Thy will be done in my life and through my life. Thy will be done, not mine. Because that alcoholism's talking to me, telling me, well, Tom, you just need to get this, and you need to get that, and you need to pe- make people do this, and you need, to ma- you need to get everything just right. You need to arrange everything. Because the book talks about me. It tells my story. I'm that guy who thinks I can rest satisfaction and happiness from this life if I just manage well. If I just manage well, then I'll be happy. And so I feed this hole, and I feed it, and I feed it, and I feed it, and it doesn't matter how much is in it. It never gets filled. And I had to learn that 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 hole can't be filled, but it can be healed. And only God can do that. Only God can heal that hole that I have through love. Like I've been talking about. This God that I had to have. I had to have. The God I had was no good. He was a monster. I had a God who was a monster. A monster that was going to put me in hell. A monster that was, that was going to rain down evil on me. An evil God. What kind of God is that? That God's not going to love me. Because I don't love myself. I don't know how to love. I had the capacity to love. 
The only thing I had a capacity for was to get. I had to make you love me. I had to make you approve of me. I had to force you into these things. I had to control you and manipulate you. So I could feel good about me. Not because I cared about anything about you. I'm using you like I'm using drugs and alcohol. I love things and I use people. What's the difference? Today, I use things and I love people. I love you. And I don't expect anything out of you. I don't expect anything in return. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me that. God gave me that. Because God gives that to me. He gives me total unconditional love. He doesn't care that that I'm perfect. I don't need to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. All I have to do is be willing. Willing. To have God remove these defects of my character. Just ask him. These things that bother me. Just to ask him and say, please take that from me. Or please give me the willingness to not live that way anymore. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be hateful. I don't want to be nasty. I don't want to beat my kids. I don't want you to fear me. I don't need you to fear me. I need to be kind, loving, understanding, open-minded. I need to find a different way to live. Because, like I was told, you are trying to do this by filling your life full of the outside. Everything outside of your life You're trying to bring all this from the outside of your life into you. And it doesn't work. This ain't an outside job. This is an inside job. And it doesn't matter. And I said, well, I guess I don't know how to live right. And they said, that's okay, Tom, because we got a program for right living. It's called the Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, happiness is a byproduct of living right. It's not something that you can get. Quit bothering searching for happiness. Happiness can't be found. Search for the right way to live. Happiness is a byproduct of living right. It's a natural thing. It's going to happen to you just because you live right. If you follow a way of life of living right. And, and, and like, like the 12 and 12 talks about, it's easy for us to, I mean, get rid of. Uh, <laughs> I love this. So, you know, you always see that about the sixth step, right? This is the step that separates the men from the boys. Right? And the girls from the women. 
This is the step. What is that? Okay. Well, it's it's written right in here. Let me see. So what is that? What is that difference? And you get a lot of us that have never been told what that difference is. And it's written right here. It's written right here on page 68 in the 12 and 12 in the, fir- in the first paragraph on that page. Therefore, it seems plain that few of us can quickly or easily become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. Yeah, God hasn't seen fit to render me white as snow. No, because I am, it's impossible, I believe, for me to completely cooperate with him. I'm always going to hang on to those, those few things, right? I mean, it talks about it. It talks about it, right? I mean, you know, we're, always, we're ready to get rid of that, the big things. We're ready to get rid of the big things. Well, what about all the little things, like the gossip? You know, the talking about them. You know, you know what's right for them. They ought to just stop doing that. She ought to stop going with that guy, you know. He's an asshole, you know. Why can't he see that, you know, being in that business is, 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 no, it's no good. Let's look at everybody else. Let's take their inventory, you know. When gluttony is less than ruinous, we have a milder word for it too. Call it taking our comfort. The world's riddled with envy. Everybody's infected with it. This, from this defect, we get a warped yet definite satisfaction. Wishing for what we have not rather than working for it, you know. Angrily looking for attributes we shall never have instead of adjusting the fact and accepting it. All these things. Retiring. Procrastination, sloth with five syllables. You know, you read the 12 and 12. I hope you read the 12 and 12. But the real point that I want to make is that this difference, so the difference between the boys and the men is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective. In other words, for me to say, that's good enough. Okay? I got rid of all that, that stuff, the bad lust, the bad uh, 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 anger, the bad pride, all the things that caused me the big problems. I got rid of those. I got rid of those. So why do I, I, I you know, these little things, like the gossip and the character assassination, you know, and the, the, little, the little shortcomings. That's what we're really going to talk about next week. The defects are the big things in me. This is the difference in, in me and what I was talking about with defects and shortcomings. The whole human race has shortcomings. Eckhart Tolle, one of my favorite authors in the power of now, he says, the whole human race is insane. Not just alcoholics, okay? Don't think you're the only ones who are insane. The whole human race is insane. They've murdered 100 million of their own people in the last 100 years. They're destroying the planet that they live on. How insane is that? So they're all insane. 
we just seem to have a little bit more, you know, want to be insane, you know. But I don't want to be insane anymore. So the difference between striving for a self-determined objective, in other words, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. 38 years sober, I'm not satisfied. Because the difference between that and the difference that separates the men from the boys is in this next sentence. The difference between striving for self-determined objective, saying that's good enough, and for the perfect objective, which is God. That's the difference. That's what separates the men from the boys and the girls from the women. Because I'm not satisfied with being just good enough. I know that I'm not going to be perfect. I'm only human. And that's the best I'll ever be as human. But that doesn't mean any reason to stop. I still have things that bother me about me. Sometimes I think, you know, God's got a great sense of humor. This paragraph on 64 that says, Having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism, why then shouldn't we be able to achieve by the same means a perfect release from every other difficulty or defect? This is a riddle of our existence, the full answer to which may be only in the mind of God. Nevertheless, at least a part of the answer to it is apparent to us. That part is what I'm talking about. We want to settle for less. Don't live below your principle. That's what I was taught. To never settle for less. Because if you settle for less, you always will. So I was taught to live this way of never settling for less. And I'm in a meeting... In the meeting I'm talking about, and I'm telling them about how I'm not satisfied. I was like 35 years sober or so. That I'm not satisfied with my character. And this newcomer came up to me at the end of the meeting. He was madder than hell. What do you mean you're not satisfied? How can you be sober all these years and not be satisfied? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that they just want to get, get through this. Let me just get through these steps. Let me just get this out of the way. Let me just read the big book. Let me just comply. Let me just comply. And then everybody will leave me alone. That's not surrender. And you won't get to serenity that way. And peace of mind is all I ever really wanted. And the only way it really came to me through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous by never being satisfied. That knowing that the day I'll be satisfied is the day they throw the dirt in my face. That's when it's going to be over with. Until then, I'm going to keep continuing with not being satisfied with my character because it ain't perfect. I still cuss too much. 
I still lose my temper. I'm still lustful, even though I'm an old man. There might be snow on the roof, but there's still fire in the furnace. <laughs> I, I once, when I was a kid, worked with an old man. I'll tell you this story, and then we'll quit. I started out as a busboy at 13, and there was an old man named John. Old Big John, big old black man that washed dishes, and he had three full-time jobs every day washing dishes. He had about 12 kids. And I once said to him, I said, John, what's so good about getting old? He says, you don't think about women much anymore. I never could figure that out. What's so good about that? And then I realized that that's why he had to work three jobs a day, because he had 12 kids, okay? Thanks for letting me share tonight. All right, let's thank Tom again. All right, now we're going to have Mark come up and do our secretary's report. My name's Mark. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with our seven tradition, which states that every group should be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. While the baskets are going around, I've asked Dean to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So here's Dean. Hi, Dean, recovered alcoholic. Says recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, Dean. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Okay, more importantly, does anyone need a sponsor? Nobody, cool. All right. Um, if you do, don't be afraid to reach out after the meeting. Please join us Monday nights, Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive, third floor of this building. Fellowship starts at 
Big Book starts at 7.15. We have Ryan. We have Andrew. We have Violet. Uh, please join us. <laughs> we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red big books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15. Tom will be back next week for his seventh session. We ask you to be courteous and begin at the sound of the bells or the Road to Recovery theme song. See you next week. All right. Uh, we have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, I'd like to invite everybody again to our Monday night big book study. Um, those who wish to thank Tom, uh, please just line up down the center aisle. And we're going to go ahead and oh, uh, also, if you smoke, just go down to the end uh, of the walkway. Um, we're going to go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you all next week.
chase. Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind. And, God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Well, clap your hands, you better. 